Thank you for joining us today for our Restoration Church podcast. This is our 11th in our James series, and it is talking about healing and restoration. We hope you enjoy. All right, turn to James chapter 5. And we're going to study a little bit a little bit today. We've been in James for several weeks, and today we're going to wrap that up. And then we're going to kick off a new series next Sunday with our, uh, with our worship, so... How many of you guys love when you get to go to the doctor? Anybody love going to the doctor? Uh, not too many people raise their hands. No hallelujahs, no shouts. All right, there we go. <laughs> Sometimes we love them because they help us, right? Um, when I was a kid, I loved going to the doctor because they would always give me, like, stickers, and there was toys to play with, and uh, the, uh, the doctor had this little stamp. It was like a smiley face stamp, and he'd always pull my shirt, shirt up, and he would stamp my belly with a smiley face, and then I would just, like, look at it all day. Um, but I was kind of weird when I was a kid, so that's probably why I liked it so much. So, uh, but when I'm, as an adult, I don't like going to the doctor. Uh, they, always, they always give you that list of things you need to do to get healthy. Uh, the last time I went to the doctor, uh, had all my tests, and then they have a little app where they communicate with you. They send you a message, and, uh, and my doctor, Dr. Nakuzi, sent me a message. He said, uh, Lance, we've got a lot of things to work on, so let's get started. And, <laughs> thank you. Thank you for your encouragement. Um, Unless you didn't say, hey, fatty, we've got a lot of things to work on, uh, then that's, that's uh, probably better. But we go to the doctor. Uh, we may not enjoy it, but we do appreciate it, and we, do, we are glad that the doctor gives us a list of things to do to get healthy, right? We appreciate it um, because we, we know that it's important and valuable for us to be, to be healthy. And uh, uh, with that in mind, uh, we're going to look at James chapter 5 in a moment because James gives us a prescription, if you will, for how do we um, see healing and restoration in our spiritual health. So in James chapter 5, we're going to be able to look at that together and uh, dig in and, and understand how James speaks to that. And as you guys know, uh, uh, most of you have been here for a while, you'll know this text is very important to our church. It really helps us understand why we're here. And it's a little bit, this is our last backstage practice, kind of dress rehearsal before our kickoff uh, next Sunday. Uh, we've done a lot of work to have a lot of people here. Um, and uh, whether we have the same here or whether we have twice as many or three times as many, it really doesn't matter because we know exactly who God's called us to be and what God's called us to do. And this text helps us define what God wants to do in the life and vision of Restoration Church. So we're going to read it together. We're going to dig in and, uh, and make some comments and then, and then wrap up. So um, let's have a word of prayer real quick. Father, you are so good. Um, it's, it's easy to come rushing into a space like this. And uh, instead, of, instead of really paying attention to what you want to do in our lives, we uh, simply rush in, check the box that we've been to church, and then uh, rush out. God, I pray you would help us, help us just breathe for a second. Remember you're real. Remember you're here. Uh, remember that you're near. You're, you're, close, you're close to us. God, you are as attracted to us if we are in Christ as, a, as one magnet is to another. You're attracted to us, God. You're, we are irresistible to you because of the blood of Jesus. Whether we've had a good day or a good week or whether we've screwed up every single day, every single maybe screwed up this morning like 30 times already, because of your grace and your forgiveness, you are attracted to us, irresistibly attracted to us. And uh, Will is... Will and I were talking about prayer yesterday and uh, just reminded that you are here. You are here. You are in us. You speak to us. Give us ears to hear you this morning. Help us be finely tuned to what you want to say. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. James chapter 5 verse 13. 
is, this is what it says. Um, is anyone among you suffering? He should pray. And then on the other side of that coin, is anyone cheerful? He should sing praises. So James has given us the brackets of his concept here, two different ideas, bad stuff and the good stuff, happy, sad, suffering, rejoicing, and telling us how to respond. And then verse 14, he's going to get a little bit more specific. He's going to, within those two brackets, get a little bit more specific and deal with a, a, a certain need that a lot of us run into. I was kind of talking about it a minute ago. Verse 14, is anyone among you sick? He should call for the elders of the church, and they should pray over him after anointing him with olive oil in the name of the Lord. A couple things about this text I think are important so far as, as he digs into praying for the sick. Um, the first thing is, is that I want us to point out is he said they should be anointed with oil first. So pray for them after you've anointed them with oil. Uh, that's a really good translation of what you see here. So in this time, anointing someone with oil, uh, there, were, there were cases where it was a very spiritual reference, right? We're used to hearing that. If you've been to church a long time, you may have seen uh, in churches people pray over someone and anoint them with oil. Um, that is something that is a reference throughout Scripture in a lot of places in the Bible where, where kings are anointed with oil. Uh, it's a very common occurrence from a spiritual perspective. But this same phrasing and wording that is in uh, James chapter 5 here in this verse is also used in medical terminology of the day. So you wouldn't have said, uh, if you were talking about going to, the, going to the doctor, if you will, and getting medicine, you wouldn't have said the doctor prescribed to me a pharmaceutical or the doctor gave me a, a prescription for some medicine. You would have said the doctor anointed me with oil. It was a, a way to refer to the medical practice of the day. Um, so some people take this text from a more spiritual perspective. Hey, uh, as an act of faith, we should anoint people with oil, and it's a bit of a symbolic moment of our faith. Uh, or some people, and this is where I personally lean, um, some people take this be, to be more of the practical side of taking care of someone. God is calling the elders of the church, in the, and before they pray, to take some practical measures of service and love. The terminology, anoint with oil, could be translated every bit as uh, accurately today as apply medicine to. Um, anybody have any friends who sell, sell oil, like the health oils? What are they called? Essential oils? Is that what they call it? Anybody have some friends? I see some heads nodding out there and some hands, hands raising and um, some people running because you think you're about to get an essential oil sales pitch. Um, Sean, you can come back in. It's okay. Um, I'm not going to sell you essential oils, I promise. But there is a website. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so essential oils, and, and if you talk to someone about the essential oils, they'll give you, hey, man, if you take this oil and you put it on, it will, it's a happiness oil, or this is a relaxation oil, or this is a cleaning oil, or, or this is to, uh, you know, make you not smell bad oil. There's all kinds of different oils out there. Um, and, and they are applied, uh, even in, in a modern way, in a, in a very medicinal purpose. And that's the same thing that would have been going on potentially in this text is that what, what James is saying is, is before, you, before you pray, or as, as you pray, um, it's okay to take some physical measures, some measures of service, some measures of practicality in, in giving someone medicine in this scenario. And then you might ask the question, well, why, why the elders? Um, do the elders have super prayers? Maybe, maybe you should call the pastors. And remember, uh, in the New Testament, when we see the word elders, most of the time it's a synonym for pastor. We typically say the word pastor today, um, when we're talking about this role, but it's the same exact uh, role or position in the church as a pastor. So is there something super about the prayers of a pastor? Uh, we were laughing about this this week when, uh, you know, if you grew up in more traditional churches, man, somebody had surgery. If Aunt Sally was getting her ingrown toenail cleaned out, you had, the pastor had to be there to pray for Aunt Sally before the surgery, right? 
And I never, I'll be honest with you, I never got that as a pastor. I've pastored, pastored a few churches before we got here, and uh, I've never got that. Like, why, is my, why are my prayers so special that you want me to pray? And uh, is that, do, you, do we also need to come pray over your food every night? Would you like to set up a calendar? You know, I'll come at 12 to pray over your lunch. I'll come at 6 to pray over your dinner. Uh, maybe I should pray before you go to bed and tuck you in at night. You know, that was always, I, mean, I hate, that's rude. You're like, man, that's rude. Yeah, I'm kind of a rude guy. Sorry about that. But uh, th- th- I was like, why do, why do you think my prayers are so special? Like, why do you think I am, I should be praying for you? Why don't you, why don't you ask your friend to pray for you? Why don't you ask a brother or sister in Christ to pray for you? Because we all have the same access to Christ, right? Every single person in this room, if you're a follower of Jesus and you ask God to do something, you have just as much effect at the hand of God and in the presence of God as the pastor does. He's not more holy than you are. He's not more righteous than you are. He's not a more effective prayer than you are. The reason they would have called the elders in this day is because the elders of a, of a synagogue, or in this case of a church, which we took a lot of our ideas of church um, from the synagogue, they would have been the, the most educated of the group. Uh, this, the elders would have been the ones who had, had a, a lot of training. And if you had any training at this point, like any training, you kind of got all of the training. So not only would you have been trained in the Torah and maybe the Hebrew Bible, um, you would have also been trained in science uh, to that day and what they knew about science. You would have been trained in, in uh, history. You would have been trained in languages. You would have been multilingual. So it makes sense that you would ask the more uh, educated people in the group to, before they pray over you, to come anoint you with oil or apply medicine to you. So there's a practical element to what's going on even before we get to the idea of prayer. That's important because when James mentions this idea of prayer, it's going to come back up again a few times. When James mentions the idea of prayer, it's important to remember that he is, he is packaging with the idea of prayer service and practical ministry. He's saying that in any situation where you come into, when it's time to pray, also add to it, couple to it, yoke to it, practical, wise service to the people that you're praying for. It's easy sometimes just to pray. And the most important thing we can do is pray. I'll probably say that ten times because this, this passage leans towards helping us see the value of a prayer. But it is also important to pause and understand where James starts this story or starts this teaching. And that is, is that we should always couple prayer with practical service. Let's keep reading. Verse number 15. The prayer of faith will save the sick person and the Lord will raise him up. I'm going to stop right there because in, the, in the, the, this Bible, the Bible is originally written in Greek, and in Greek there's a harder stop here than what it looks like, at least in my English translation. I want to stop right there because I want us to look at this sentence very, very clearly. Look at what it says again. The prayer of faith will save the sick person, and the Lord will raise him up. The Lord will, uh, it's a picture for us, a word picture. Somebody on a bed can't get out of bed. They're so sick, maybe they can't walk, so sick they can't move. Literally, um, literally in a position of such significant sickness that they're on a bed. And the healing is so significant that they are able to move past that. It's obvious, undeniable, objective healing that happens. This is a special important reminder for us that the prayer of God, prayer to God for healing works. God still wants to heal people in 2016. This is a teaching that we see all through the New Testament. The New Testament teaches us very, very clearly that where God is present, where people are obeying and following the Holy Spirit, people are healed. And when we as believers act like healing is something that just happened uh, 2,000 years ago, we are denying the veracity, the truth, the inerrancy of Scripture. 
We're saying to God that something should define our vision for Christianity other than the scriptures in the text. When the scriptures in the text clearly teach us that we should expect just as many miracles today as happened during the time of Christ, as happened during the time of the apostles, and healing characterized the church during this time. Look at, flip over in your Bibles real quick to Galatians. I just want to show you something kind of interesting. It's Galatians chapter 2. Actually, uh, chapter 3, I'm sorry. Verse number 1. I want you to just pay attention for a second. This is a church. Paul's writing another letter, just like James wrote the letter to a bunch of churches. Paul's writing this letter to a church in Galatia. And listen to what it says in verse 1. You foolish Galatians, who has hypnotized you? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was vividly portrayed as crucified. I only want to learn this from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? So he's talking about how we experience the, the effect and the power of the Spirit. And how do we experience the Spirit in salvation in our life? How is it by being good or being righteous enough or stopping sinning enough? No, it's by faith. It's through God's grace that God works powerfully. And only through God's grace. We never earn the work of God in our life. Verse number three, are you foolish, so foolish? After beginning with the Spirit, are you now made, are you going to be made complete or mature through the flesh, through your own efforts, through your own works? Verse number four, did you suffer so much for nothing? If in fact it was for nothing, so then does God supply you with a Spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Now he's writing this to a church and he is assuming that the miraculous power of God is working. He's making that as an assumption. That's not a you should have or let me teach you how to have the miraculous power of God working in your midst and in your presence. He's assuming that that's part of the experience of a believer walking with Jesus. The prayer of faith in the name of the Lord will save sick people. Now remember what we started with. There's balance here, right? James is making sure we have balance. There's the supernatural and there's the natural. Do what God has called us and given us an opportunity to do and praying for people to be healed supernaturally. Also always couple that with a practical element of healing. Uh, there are many stories in the Bible, in the book of Isaiah, several different times in the text where we see stories and examples where God said, I am going to heal this person. And yet they still took practical measures of medicinal, uh, medicinal type measures to help the person be healed. It is a both and, not an either or, where we have a tendency to get out of balance in 2016 is we think it's all about the medicine and not about the supernatural power of God. James should help us clear that up if we want to be textual and scriptural in our approach and, and thinking about healing. He goes on to say after that hard stop, right in the middle of verse 15, and if he has committed sins, or literally if a person has committed sins, he will be forgiven. So what happens here in the text is a pretty big transition. It happens right during the middle of the verse. So it's a little bit harder to see if you're, if you're not paying attention. Basically what James is saying is, is, okay, so if somebody's sick, what do you do? Well, you, you take care of them, you get them some medicine, you take some practical measures, and you also pray for them. And when we do that, you're going to see people healed miraculously from their diseases and from their suffering, from their ailments. And then he transitions to a secondary idea, another idea. Okay, I see what happens if someone's sick physically well what happens if someone is sick spiritually what should we do and James points out very much at the beginning his sins are forgiven it's important for us to know be reminded and have always the faith of what the gospel teaches us that in Christ our sins are wiped away they're gone so even when we do sin even when we are suffering in sin it doesn't mean or impact or affect the forgiveness that we've already received in Jesus Christ 
Um, Sean and I were talking about this yesterday. We're hanging out, um, having some good smoked meats um, uh, at Sean's house, and uh, it, was, it was a good time. But we're just talking about how important it is for us as believers to preach the gospel both to ourselves and to each other all the time. Over and over and over. It's not something that we hear and then we respond in faith. Jesus died on the cross for my sins. There's nothing I can do to earn his grace. My only hope is the cross and his forgiveness and his redemption and his mercy and his grace. That's my only hope. That message is something I have to preach to myself every single day. And James is reminding us that if we want to experience healing spiritually, we need to start with a reminder that we are forgiven, that we've experienced the gospel. We need to remind ourselves of that every day and all throughout the day. Preach the gospel to ourselves every day and throughout every day. Verse 16. What else do we do? So we're forgiven. Okay, well, what's next? What, what's the therefore? What's, what's the step we take to be healed, excuse me, from our spiritual suffering? Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. Interestingly enough, you use the word healed here as a, an analogy for, uh, for spiritual healing. So he's used the picture in reality, the, I guess you'd say the allegory of healing physically, and, and he meant it specifically related to healing, physical healing in the first couple of verses, and now he's using that as a picture to the kind of restoration we want to experience in our spiritual life. As a matter of fact, it's kind of fun to me when I go through this text, and I look at the word healing, and I look it up. The first word, the first definition of the word healing always is to restore it's important to me because as a church that named itself Restoration Church, we want to see restoration in our lives, in our families' lives, and for that restoration to see, to, to be impacted, uh, to impact everyone in the city. We want the people that walk by here and jog by here and at the farmer's market on Saturday and, and hanging out at the Blue Note Saturday night and, and a little bit at lunch, and we want people throughout this entire city to experience the restoration of Jesus Christ. It's a spiritual restoration that James is speaking to. And how do we experience that? Well, not only do we confess our, um, not only do we remember that we're forgiven and preach the gospel to each other, but we confess our sins to each other. Now, it's a very emphatic point in this text that if, if you're not paying attention, you'll miss it. He's saying, if you're sick, call the elders and they'll pray for you. But if you're having spiritual sickness, don't call the elders. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other. There's an emphasis here on the body dynamic that we, through each other and through engaging each other through relationships, through groups meeting together, have the biggest impact. I'll come back to that in a minute. So what do we do? We confess our sins to each other. We pray for each other. And remember, when James says pray, he's already packed that idea with when you pray, you also serve in practical ways. Then he goes on to say the intense prayer of the righteous is very powerful. Don't forget, again, that when we pray, God works miracles, right? Um, I was having a struggle time this week. Um, just middle of the week, just to be blunt and honest and a little bit transparent, I, my, my mind was filled with things it shouldn't have been filled with. And I was fighting that temptation, and I was, I was struggling with it, and uh, I decided at first I was going to fight on my own, um, and I thought maybe I could make it through. Um, prayed a little bit, read some scripture, still struggling, still fighting, still filled, my mind still filled with thoughts that, that I'm sure an hour or two later I would have hated. Uh, but in the moment, I really, really was enjoying them, just to be honest with you. But I knew they weren't what God wanted me to, to chase down and pursue. So I, I text the guys in my death group. And, uh, you know, it wasn't easy to text them, to be honest with you. Um, I didn't want to admit to them, I don't want to admit to you today that I'm not perfect and I'm not a godly man and all those kind of things, because I'm not. 
But I was struggling, and I texted them. I said, guys, can you just pray for me? And I explained to them what I was going through. And, and uh, they, they both immediately uh, texted me back, and they, I know they began to pray for me. They shared some thoughts with me and began to pray for me. And it was one of those times where God miraculously began to work in my heart and my mind. And I can't say this has happened every time that that, that path has been chosen. But God gave me freedom and victory in that moment. God worked a miracle in my heart in that moment. I can tell you it's a miracle because I can tell you that 99 out of 100 times I would not have, not have found the end of that path to be victorious. But in the space of asking people to pray for me, God worked a miracle and allowed me to see freedom from the temptation I was experiencing in that moment. That happened this week. Honestly, that could have been a story from 10 days this week. That could have been a story in my life from 100 days this week. I'm going to guess most of us are in a similar place. Verse number 17, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, yet he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the land. God, I don't want it to rain anymore. Stop it from raining, okay? Okay, okay, I got you, Elijah. Verse number 18, then he prayed again, and the rain gave rain, and the land produced its fruit. Okay, God, I'm ready for it to rain now. Let's, let's let it go. You can let it rain now. Can you imagine such powerful, powerful prayers? That when you say, when you say God, can you make something stop, it stops. God, make something go, it goes. God, make the rain stop, and it stops. God, make the rain go, and it goes. What a powerful demonstration of what we should, let's pause. This is what we should expect from our prayer life. James is teaching us what we should expect from our prayer life. That we could say, God, I don't want it to rain for the next six months. And it doesn't rain for six months. Okay, God, I'm ready for it to rain now. And it rains. Why do we lessen our prayer life? Why do we try to make prayer something less than this? I know why I do it. You know why I do it? Because when I, don't, when I pray and my prayer life doesn't reflect this supernatural level of God's work, it's a moment where I have to call myself out, right? But if I can say, well, prayer doesn't really, it doesn't really always happen. You know, there may be, God may work powerfully. He may not. You know, all the, then it's not about me anymore, Right? And I get that. I know that God sometimes chooses to answer prayer. And there are times where we have to just trust Jesus in the garden. God, here's what I want. I really want you to get me out, keep the suffering from the cross from happening to me. But whatever you want is what I really want. Whatever your will is is what I really choose, right? Which, when you think about it, Jesus' prayer was answered, wasn't it? Exactly what he prayed was answered. God, I want the suffering to not come about to me. I don't want to go to the cross. If there's any other way, I'd rather not do this. He knew what was about to happen. But God, whatever you want is what I really want. He prayed two prayers, didn't he? He prayed one prayer, here's what I want. He prayed another prayer, a second prayer. But the thing I really want is what you want. And God answered his prayer just like he did Elijah and just like he will ours. Verse 19. My brothers, if any among you strays from the truth and someone turns him back, he should know that whoever turns a sinner from the error of his ways will, uh, will save his life, or literally his, his sukos. His, uh, we get the word psycho from it. It's soul. It's, it's his whole person. His whole person will experience restoration and healing and salvation, not just spiritually, but his whole person and death, and he will be saved from death and cover a multitude of sins. And in that aspect, we see the last element of that truth. As we help people change what they believe, believe go from believing error about who God is and about reality and about the world and about theology, go from believing error to believing truth, we're able to experience and help others experience that restoration and that healing that, that we're here to, to see. 
So let's pause for a second as we wrap up, and I'll give us a couple applications, okay? Um, the first is kind of where we started. This is why we're here, guys. We believe um, that what we see in James chapter 5 helps define what it takes to see the kind of life change that God through Christ wants to work in the city of Durham. Did you notice what he didn't describe? Now, I'm about to say this as a guy who spent years training to teach the Bible and preach like I'm doing right now, years, years doing it. But you know, he didn't really describe a church service where we're doing what we're doing today. And even though we're putting in a lot of work right now, and it's all worth it to make this what it needs to be, this isn't the point. The point is, is how do we gauge, engage each other in relationships and service? The one another's that we see in this text, how do we engage each other in relationships and those one another's every day in relationships? Because if all we do is this, this text would help us to assume that we will never see the kind of life change that they saw in the New Testament. We'll never see the kind of miracles that they saw in the New Testament. We'll never see God reveal his power the way we saw it in the early church. We don't see it. James is helping us to understand. He's implying strongly we don't see it in the big. We see it in the small. We don't see it in the macro. We see it in the micro. Not the worship service on Sunday morning, but when we engage each other in the one another's in relationships throughout the week. That's where we see the real power of God. That is a, if any belief is core to the values of Restoration Church, it is that belief. The intimacy with God is through intimacy with each other. That we will grow closer to God as we help each other grow closer to God in groups and relationships. We do that through something called depth groups, right? And the big point of our church, we want everybody in the city to be in what we call a depth group. And that is uh, three, four, or five guys or three or four or five girls, and they do what's in James 5, Right? They teach each other the gospel, and they teach each other the truth. They confess their sins to each other. When they're going through something, they're going through junk, they don't just keep it to themselves. They share it. Not so that we can, you know, absolve them for their sins or anything like that, but so that we can partner with them, and we can serve them, and we can pray for each other. We serve each other. We pray for each other. And in the context of that dynamic, the depth group, that kind of relationship, James says that we'll experience life change. There's a lot of work to be done right now. A lot of work over the next few days. A lot of work will be next Sunday. But because of our passion, because of what we see in the Scripture, of what God wants to do through those kind of relationships, would you agree with me that it's all worth it? You know what? We're, we're, we may not be the kind of church that gets loud very often, but I'm going to ask that question one more time. Because I think we can say it a little bit better. At least, at least give me an amen like you're straight up old school Baptist or something like that. You know, something. All right. Do you guys, when you read this text and you see the kind of life change that can happen in relationships like we're described here, do you, do you guys believe all this work that we're doing is worth it? Amen. All right. Let's pray.